Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not replace your own financial, tax, legal, or financial product advice. Hi everyone and welcome to My Millennial Money Medical. My name's Sevraga and I'm your host and in this episode we're going to be talking through biases and how they can affect your personal finances and investment decision making. Then I have a question from Michael about financial products, specialist products for professions other than doctors, lawyers, accountants and engineers. Now, I've actually discussed biases in episode 67 called Behavioral Finance, but in this episode, we will look at the topic much more specifically. Now, we can't do this podcast without the support of Altus Financial. As a full-service financial advisory business, they can help you in many ways, whether that be your requirements on general business advice, structuring, and use of multiple entities for tax minimization or asset protection purposes to protect you for the extra risk we take on as medical professionals, or as a sounding board on ideas you have on your business. Check out altusfinancial.com.au. Let's get started. If you want me to discuss a specific topic, or if you have a specific question, don't hesitate to contact me via Twitter or via Facebook. For those of you that are new to the channel, remember the three main aims, education, empowerment, and entertainment. So what is cognitive or psychological bias? I think this is a really important topic to understand. And then we'll discuss about 13 biases which could be affecting your personal finance and investing right now. So what is cognitive and psychological bias? It's basically an error in thinking when interpreting data and information and when we process it. This error then flows on because the person is using that information in an incorrect way, thereby affecting their decision-making. The thing about bias is that it's a systematic error That is, if that person interprets the same data and the same information at another time and did not account for the bias, they will definitely misinterpret it again and it will lead to the same outcome, which may not be good for them. So it's relatively reproducible. Why does this happen? The human body is designed to be as efficient as possible. It tries to simplify tasks when attempting to do them. For example, When you touch your nose, your brain activates your dominant hand, which then proceeds to touch your nose. It takes the shortest path to achieve this. The same applies to the human brain as an organ. The human brain attempts to simplify information and data processing. This simplification seemingly allows you to interpret information at the quickest possible way. But this can lead to some errors in interpretation. And this allows biases to creep in. And therefore, it affects the way you see and interact with this world. 
The concept of cognitive bias was introduced only in the 1970s by Tversky and Daniel Kahneman, and since then they've identified and characterized a number of different biases which affect everyone in this areas: social behavior, cognition, behavioral economics, education, management, healthcare, business, and finance. Now there are three fundamental areas which affect biases. Number 1, attention. Example, how long and how attentive you are forms and shapes what you got out of lectures and presentations. Number 2, attribution. Attributing data to incorrect things which leads to incorrect outcomes. Number 3, memory. What you remember from an event shapes your view of that event. Now, it's important to remember that biases are not the same as failed logic. A logical fallacy occurs because the logic itself is flawed. The most common example of this is called the straw man's argument. So, let's use an example to highlight this concept of logical fallacy and why it's not the same as a biases. Amy is a nurse who works in a cosmetic practice. She's supported by physicians and beauticians. She thinks her website needs a new redesign to keep up with the changing dynamics in the cosmetic space. but also some of the new techniques and products she's offering their clients. Her partner is an IT expert mainly in the field of machine learning. She decides to investigate the cost of redesigning of a website for her business. Upon finding about it this, her partner remarks, "Why would you want to waste money on an outsourced website when I can do it for zero cost?" Now, let's look at this situation in more detail. Amy's thought process was likely A my partner is a machine learning expert which is classed as an IT professional and b they're unlikely to be experts at website design and c therefore it makes sense for me to get a quote on redesign of the site externally sounds legit meanwhile her partner has simplified this logic to a i'm an IT professional why would we spend money to get someone else to do the website design when i can do that at zero cost it doesn't work like that Amy never said her partner couldn't do the website design. She never wanted to pay zero cost for the website. So you can see how the logic is flawed in her partner's argument, leading to a logical fallacy. This is not the same as a bias. So how does cognitive bias affect our investments and personal financial decision making? Most of the cognitive biases are hardwired. which means they are so ingrained it's sometimes very difficult to identify them and correct them it allows us to make shortcuts when making personal finance or investment decisions and therefore it allows us to oversimplify potentially complex decisions which naturally leads to being overconfident so let's look at the 13 most common biases which affect our personal and financial decision making and investment decision making number 1 confirmation bias this is when you've already formed an opinion about a particular investment then you seek information which confirms your view of the investment it's a natural human tendency which occurs all the time this often leads to overconfidence in your decision making and to avoid this bias you need to start challenging the status quo you need to seek information which refutes your overarching view and see if it holds up So when you're making an investment decision you need to find out is this investment the right choice does it come at a cost effective price 
and doesn't meet my financial objectives. If the decision is yes to all three, then step two is you need to seek to invert this hypothesis or conclusion. That is, you need to see if it's the wrong choice, how expensive it is, and see if it doesn't meet your financial objectives. The greatest investors don't say how great their investment decision was. They try and destroy their investment theses and see if it holds up against the forces of macro and microeconomical factors. Now, I've discussed macroeconomics and microeconomical factors in episode 217 if you're interested. Have a think about what the greatest example of confirmation bias is that we use every single day. It's Google. When you Google something, you're only getting the information that you're seeking. You never provided the alternative viewpoint unless you specifically ask for it. Let's use an example of how confirmation bias may affect your investment decision making. Amy is a doctor and is a devout follower of the broad based index fund investing style. She's looked at the evidence and has noted over the long term, index investing is likely the best outcome for her. But she's also very keen to actively invest in small portions of her money. That is, she has a core and satellite approach to investments. Now, if you're interested in that concept, worthwhile researching about that. She's on multiple Facebook and Reddit forums, and here's a rumor about company ABC about going bankrupt. She's a holder of that company's shares. Company ABC is a building company, and the recent economic uncertainty, inflation pressures, and interest rate rises means people may build less. Therefore, builders are not able to keep up with the high costs and low demand and unable to pay their suppliers and services, and therefore may end up in bankruptcy. Amy is very worried about it. It's almost as if that she's already made up her mind. But before selling her stock in company ABC, she decides to do some research online. And finds out information about bankruptcy and reports of going into financial trouble, and she misses the news that the company's financials have actually accounted for the inflationary pressures and high interest rates. But this doesn't occur to her in her research. As a result, Amy pulls the trigger, sells her stock, and eight months later, the stock has doubled because the company has innovated a new way of constructing energy efficient buildings using patented technology, and Amy has lost out on a potential 10 bagger. Amy has let confirmation bias creep into her investment decision making. In this particular case, selling of the shares in company ABC stock. Number two, information bias. This is when the information you receive about a particular investment is treated equally. Yes, you need to take into account all sides to an investment story, but they need to be relevant. You need to separate the noise from the real information. Thinking about it, making financial decisions and investment decisions is all about having appropriate and relevant timely information. Essentially, you are trading on the information you have. If you've had bad information, you tend to make bad decisions. That's also true in life. If you have good information, you tend to make good financial decisions. And that's also true in life as well. So, who provides relatively useless information on a day to day basis depending on the source? Number one, stockbrokers. Number two, financial media, TV, online, social media. Number three, financial analysts, economics professors on the radio talking about the doom and gloom all the time. As an investor, you need to be able to filter through all this crap and get to the bottom of the story. How can you protect yourself against these sort of biases? 
Information bias is a real problem. Number one, turn off the TV, especially when it comes to the financial section. Number two, don't pay attention to the day-to-day cycles. Number three, don't read or get influenced by social media posts about whatever the day's financial story is. Number four, the chances are they're highly irrelevant to your situation anyway. Now, true story, recently I actually tried to watch Fox Business, CNBC and CNN Business, Bloomberg channels and some other business channels that I have on my TV. Goodness gracious, what a load of crap that was. I literally sat there and I tried my best to pay attention to what they were saying and none of it, and I mean none of it, was immediately relevant to my long-term investment and financial goals. Now, there's actually this one financial contributor whose net worth, which has risen since 1980s from almost nothing to 100 million US dollars today. If you know who that is, Facebook or Twitter me, and they made all of their money from other people's money or talking about finances. And I did try and watch their show. And again, complete rubbish. Number three, loss aversion or endowment effect. This is when people prefer not to lose money rather than make money. The endowment effect is when you place a higher value on the goods you own rather than the goods you don't own. It's a natural tendency in human nature to do this. Why would you care about something you don't own? Because humans are wired not to lose money, we tend to not take risks to make money. This also means when we have investments which have lost money, we like to hold on to it in the hope that it'll eventually turn around. That is, we tend not to cut our losses and sell the investment which has already lost the money. Loss aversion doesn't take into account the opportunity cost of that loss. The time you waste by holding on to lost investments in the hope they turn around is time wasted because the money and the time can be used better to find investments which make you money. Now, how can you sort of understand this problem? Warren Buffett talks about the investment punch card. You only have 20 spaces to punch the card. And every time you make an investment, you need to punch that card. If investments were like that, this would force you to think long and hard about investment decisions and likely force you to buy and sell investments which are only of good value. Number four, incentive caused bias. This is when there are various incentives which can lead people astray and end up making bad financial decisions. In fact, the whole of the GFC was based on this. Hamish Douglas writes a great article, and I'll link it in the show notes for those interested, which I used as a resource to prepare for this episode about financial bias and investment decision-making. And in that article, he quotes Buffett, and here goes. I quote, Nothing sedates rationality like large doses of effortless money. After a heady experience of that kind... Normally sensible people drift into behaviour akin to that of Cinderella at the ball. They know that overstaying the festivities, that is, continuing to speculate in companies that have gigantic valuations relative to the cash they are likely to generate in the future, will eventually bring on pumpkins and mice. But they nevertheless hate to miss a single minute of what is one hell of a party. Therefore, the giddy participants all plan to leave just seconds before midnight. There's only one problem. The dancing in a room in which the clocks have no hands. What does that mean? 
When there's an incentive-driven scheme, it can lead to bad decisions. In this particular example, basically Buffett is saying people are enjoying the party so much that they're dancing in a room and they want to leave at midnight, but of course there's no clocks. So therefore you don't know when midnight is and it's very difficult to leave. Now what are some examples of incentives? Money. You get more money for doing certain things. That can lead to doing things which are dodgy. Equity. You get more equity as compensation if you perform better. A lot of the executive compensation packages overseas and in Australia is based on money and equity. Sex. There are dubious schemes out there in the financial world which rewards this sort of stuff. Friendships and companionships. Higher status and freedom. For example, working from home. Let's use an example to see how incentive-based bias can affect your investment performance. Amy is a doctor and she has a net worth of around $2 million in her mid-40s. She's decided to seek financial advice about her current portfolio. When interviewing her various financial advisors, she specifically wants to know how they're compensated. Financial advisor A is compensated is a fee-for-service structure. She pays them an hourly rate and that's it. She doesn't pay anything extra for advice to set up her financial products. Financial advisor B, there is no fee-for-service, there is no hourly rate, but there is an AUM, Assets Under Management Fee, for managing her portfolio. And financial advisor C, this is a hybrid system where there is an hourly rate. An AUM fee is significantly lower. Having a look at it in depth, she realised financial advisor B didn't have the widespread products and services when compared to financial advisor A and financial advisor C. Why is this? Now, just to rejig everyone's memory, financial advisor B, there is no fee for service, there is no hourly rate, but there is an assets under management fee. So why did they not have as much as financial advisor A and C in terms of variety of products? The incentive structures and schemes for financial advisor B was more skewed towards some financial products, so they're more likely to revert to these products. Now, it's important to note, financial advisor B is not doing anything out of the ordinary. In fact, this is not uncommon in how it used to work in the past. But slowly, things are changing and the financial industry is cleaning up its act. I think now you can't receive kickbacks for promoting certain financial products. You can see how these incentive-led biases can help people set up for financial disasters and end up making the wrong financial decision. Charlie Munger famously used the FedEx example, who are an international delivery company. FedEx noted that the overnight packages were not transferred from plane one to plane two, and this affected their delivery times. And for them, time is literally money in the delivery industry. They noted the night shift workers were paid on a per hour basis. Now that changed the model to shift payment. That is, once they achieved their goals of the day, they could go home, or the night in this case, and still get paid for the whole night shift. They then noted people worked harder, faster, more efficiently, finishing their jobs much earlier and went home earlier. Now at this stage, I'd like to point out as good as what our public hospital system is, it is incredibly inefficient. I'm sure surgeons would agree to get operations through in the private system is way quicker than in the public system. 
And that's the whole incentive-led bias. People take multitude of tea breaks, slower operations because done by junior doctors or registrars who are learning, and that's fair enough, just slower changeover pace between patients when compared to private systems where time is literally money. Things are more efficient and people work faster. It goes to show not everything in the public health system is amazing. As great as it is, there are some deep, deep inefficiencies. Now, I recently posted on the Triple M Facebook page about a father and son who needed surgery, both my patients. Father got his surgery done in the private system the next day. The son didn't have private insurance and got his surgery done four days later after initial presentation. Some of that delay is due to public hospital inefficiencies and bureaucracy. Number five, oversimplification bias. This is when you may want to simplify an investment decision or financial decision just for the sake of simplification. When you do this, you tend to ignore large important parts which contribute to the decision-making process. This then leads to a bias which leads to incorrect decisions being made. The simplest, no pun intended, way to explain this is when people ask, I have X amount of money to invest, where do I put my money? By the way, I'm in my 30s and I'm paying the highest tax bracket. Immediately, the simplest, most logical answer coming to mind for most people is, hey, just maximise your super, why wouldn't you? You're in the highest tax bracket, maximising your super means is the most tax-effective way of investing for your retirement. Well, it's not that simple, nor is it that easy. Albert Einstein says, make things as simple as possible, but no more simple. Due to straight-up genius, what he's saying is, simplify things as much as possible, but don't oversimplify it. There may be a level of complexity to any financial decision-making. In the example of ploughing money into your super for a person in their highest tax bracket in their 30s, it makes sense. But what about some of the other important information and factors? Do they have their financial foundations in order? Are they paying themselves first? Are they going to pay off any consumer debt if they have any? Do they have personal insurance? What about emergencies and emergency funds, etc., etc.? In that example, we've just oversimplified that investment decision, which can lead to poor financial decision-making. Let's use another example to highlight this concept. Amy is a surgeon, a specialty is orthopaedic surgery. She's considering investing some money, and she has a number of choices. One of the choices is a new company which makes orthopaedic instruments. She notices one of the instruments makes part of knee surgery a lot easier on the surgeon. Now, if you haven't done orthopaedics as a specialty and you're a healthcare worker, it's a physically demanding profession, standing for long periods of time and using a fair bit of upper body strength to manipulate joints. It's hard work. Now, she's noted this new instrument, which will make operating on knees easier for the surgeon. It allows retraction mechanisms simpler. Therefore, you use less force during the operation. Now, the other choice is an investment is investing in a gourmet donut company, which ships out donuts. So these are very different companies. And these are the choices for Amy. She chooses to invest in the orthopedic instrument company, which is relatively new because she believes this instrument will revolutionise the way surgeons will perform knee replacements. It all sounds great. What could go wrong? 
Amy has oversimplified her knowledge because, yes, this instrument will make things easier for the surgeon and will revolutionise the industry. But the problem is it requires a specific type of operating table or an additional instrument in order to fix this retractor. In Australia, most of the operating theatres don't have this additional fixed points. And in fact, she finds out those fixed points don't exist in existing operating rooms anywhere in the world. Upon more research, she notes this later only after making the investment. So even though the product is fantastic, it's not usable. She has not analysed her opportunity cost in this investment because had she just invested in the donut company, which ships out donuts, maybe she may have made more money. Now, donuts are a simple business. They taste nice, people eat them and it's a food product. People like food, etc., etc. And of course, there are inherent biases in this logic as well. But bear with me while I try and highlight a point and accidentally highlight another bias. And that was a bad joke for those that missed it. Now, in this case, Amy has used her knowledge of orthopaedic surgery, focused on only the surgical aspects of the instrument, but failed to account for other factors which enable such products to come into market. There is a multitude of biases here, and she simplified it too much and made the wrong financial decision. The retractor never takes off. I find healthcare workers, especially doctors, are very vulnerable to this sort of investment decision making. Just because you're a surgeon in a specialty doesn't mean you will be an excellent investor in that field. I once had an ICU nurse say to me, I can operate the ventilator seamlessly, but I just find personal finance incredibly complex. Imagine that. Someone who can operate a ventilator, which literally saves lives, finds personal finance complex. That's not an unusual story, in my opinion. Now, let's take a quick break. And when I come back, we'll continue to learn more about biases and how they affect financial decision making. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Welcome back. Now, let's continue on with the topic of biases which affect financial decision making. Now, just another shout out and another thanks to Altus Financial for getting behind My Millennium Money Medical. We can't do this without them. Whether you're established in your career with a solid income 
and looking for next steps or you're after advice about buying into or selling or opening a first practice, Altus Financial can help. Altus is offering a complimentary 15-minute chat for anyone who wants to discuss their scenario with their professional team. Click the link in the show notes to find out more. Bias number six, hindsight bias. This is when people tend to convince themselves that they had predicted an event. Another way to look at it is, if an event is good, they'll look upon it as favourable. If an event is bad, they'll look upon it as unfavourable. This then leads people astray because they then think they can accurately predict other events and even future events. Here's the thing. No one can predict what's going to happen in the next five or ten years. People may have some inkling in the next few weeks, maybe, but even that is a stretch. A good example is, did you wake up on the 1st of Jan 2022 and know that Ukraine was going to be invaded, or perhaps you knew on the 1st of Jan 2020 that COVID is going to happen? In recent times, there's been a lot of frustration from people who say, had I known this, I would have done this, or I wouldn't have done this. Well, the thing is, you wouldn't have known this. It's impossible. Let's use an example of hindsight bias. Amy is a nurse who's purchased a property in 2021. She has a variable mortgage rate of 2.5%. At that time, she was offered a fixed home loan rate of 2.1% for about three years, but she declined. She felt a variable rate was best for her due to the flexibility it offers. Unfortunately, in May 2022, the RBA announced an interest rate rake of 0.25%, bringing the total cash rate to 0.35%. This is when the podcast is being sort of prepared and recorded, so we don't really know what the future will bring. And by the time this is aired, there may actually be further interest rate rise events. Most likely, the answer is yes. Amy feels frustrated that she did not take up the 2.1% fixed rate three-year deal and now is having to deal with a rate hike which would eventually bring her rates to 2.75% prior to any future rate hikes. She feels that had she known what was going to happen and when it was going to happen, she may have convinced herself to fix the rates in 2021. Throughout history, we have examples of hindsight bias all the time. Bill Gates. Who would have thought his statement on PCs and computers will be the norm in the future? would actually come through. Elon Musk. 20 years ago, he was not even a billionaire. Now he's the richest person in the world. And Tesla is worth about a trillion US dollars. Who would have thought? Bitcoin. In 2011, when it came due to the GFC, it was worthless. At the time of recording this episode, it's worth about 54,000 Australian dollars. Dot-com bubble. GFC. COVID. We have bubbles and market crashes all the time, and each time people exhibit hindsight bias. What's even more dangerous is when people say things like, I knew COVID was happening in 2019 when who announced it and put everything into cash and left it. I predicted the event. Or I knew Ukraine situation will create a massive oil spike price. I predicted this, so invested in oil stocks. These sorts of attitudes are prevailing. And we've seen all people say similar things, possibly even me on social media when it comes to finances. The honest truth is no one can predict the market and hindsight bias is a real phenomenon which can lead people astray quite a lot. Number seven, bandwagon bias or bandwagon effect or groupthink. This is relatively easy. This is when everyone jumps on the bandwagon and invests in something. Of course, the number one thing which comes to mind is ETFs and index funds, and more recently, cryptocurrency. This is why people like Michael Burry believe we're in an index fund bubble. 
The thing is, not all ETFs or index funds are created equal. Not all of them are good. Just because they're index funds or ETFs doesn't mean they're always passive either. I agree there's probably a bubble brewing, but it's not in the broadly diversified market tracking indices. It's the rubbish ETFs and index funds which are thematic, or so specific it's literally active investing disguised as passive investing. So make sure you make a decision on investing based on all the available facts. If you have a look at what's happening in the crypto space, for example, and why some people invest in crypto, there is so much crap out there. Just watch out. BTC and Ethereum is something people always talk about. But remember, there are 4,000 plus coins out there, all trying to vouch for your money. So-called stable coins, apparently. Just don't get into the bandwagon. Who would forget the great bubble of Shiba Inu in 2021 or the coin developed based on the series of Squid Game? All rubbish in my opinion and there's future crashes to come. That I know. But which one? I've got no idea. Let's use an example to highlight this concept. In the late 1990s, dozens of tech startups emerged. They had no viable business plans, no real products or services to bring to the market, and many cases basically set up a shop as a .com or a .net or a .com.au and call themselves online entrepreneurs, and that's it. You may laugh now, but this actually happened and less than 25 years ago. How could this be? Millions of people invested in such companies, and of course, the rest is history. There's a famous story that Buffett says in 1985, and it highlights bandwagon bias really well. And here it is. And I quote, Ben Graham told a story 40 years ago that illustrates why investment professionals behave as they do. An oil prospector moving to his heavenly reward was met by St. Peter with bad news. You're qualified for residence, said St. Peter. But as you can see, the compound reserved for oil men is packed there's no way to squeeze you in. After thinking for a moment, the prospector asked if he might just say four words to the present occupants. That seemed harmless to St Peter, so the prospector cupped his hands and yelled, Oil discovered in hell! Immediately, the gate to the compound opened and all of the oil men marched out to head for the nether regions. Impressed, St Peter invited the prospector to move in and make himself comfortable. The prospector paused. No, he said. I think I'll go along with the rest of the boys. There might be some truth to that rumour after all. Warren Buffett, 1985. Now, that is an incredible story, and it's very, very true when it comes to bandwagon bias. Number eight, restraint bias. This is when people think they can control themselves to achieve an outcome. It works once. It works twice, but it doesn't work all the time. They tend to overestimate the capacity to show restraint. This is actually relevant in subjects outside of finances too. Weight loss is a good example of how people think they can control their diet and exercise all the time, and they will never put on weight. Usually it can work up to a certain time, but eventually time and age catches up and weights go up. That's the truth. Humans are wired to be greedy. We like to win, and the dopamine we get from it means we want more. So investors can get quite complacent thinking they're winning all the time, therefore they show less and less restraint in their future investments, so start to invest more of their money in projects which may not be as sound as before. 
The Kellogg study, which was conducted in 2009, looked at restraint bias and found it to be a driving force behind things like mental fatigue, eating, smoking avoidance. Let's use an example to highlight this concept. Amy is a physiotherapist. Her partner is a doctor, both highly qualified. They're planning their dream home, something bespoke, and they have a budget of about $1.5 million to build their home. That's just for the house. Now, let's assume this was pre-pandemic and pre-inflationary pressures and supply chain issues. Now, their budget is actually quite high, and I understand that, but bear with me for a moment as I'm trying to highlight the concept here. They write down their budget and then write down a detailed scope of the features they want in their home. They attend several builders, show homes, display homes, and eventually they settle on a bespoke custom builder. During the planning phase, the builder presents all the options, all the upgrades and all the features for the home. Well, it turns out Amy and her partner's capacity to show restraint when showed all the options was actually quite low. The marble bench tops, the dome skylight with lead lights, the architraves which are bespoke, the French provincial facade, the four-car garage, the floating staircase, the music room, the yoga room, the toy room, the billiards room, the library with a ladder, the aggregate concrete driveway, landscaping, swimming pool. It all just adds up to $2.3 million. All of a sudden, they're now $800,000 over the budget. This is obviously an exaggerated example when building a home or ability to show restraint absolutely vanishes. Now, I've built a home and it's so tempting to just add more and more things without actually thinking about whether those features are actually required. Number nine, anchoring bias. This is a common bias in finances. People tend to rely too heavily on the past reference points with respect to price or quality or whatever it may be. They use that one piece of information to make that decision. There have been many studies where they ask you to think of your date of birth, then immediately ask people questions and assign a value to something, and somehow people tend to think of their date of birth, which is the anchoring point. This tends to affect their investment decisions. When investing, people always look at the ETF price or the share price, but what the share price or ETF price is today has nothing to do with this intrinsic value. Let's use an example to highlight this concept. Suppose you're hunting for a good t-shirt. You first see a t-shirt which is priced at $1,000, then you immediately down the aisle see another t-shirt which is priced at 100 bucks. Which one will you choose if you had to make the decision based on those two t-shirts? It is likely you will choose the shirt priced at $100 because you will perceive it as cheap or cheaper. But with respect to what? It's with respect to the first t-shirt, which was priced at $1,000. You have anchored your perception in relation to the first t-shirt. And you haven't really taken into account whether the t-shirt that was worth $100, well, priced at $100, was actually worth $100. It may actually only be worth 10 bucks. So it skews your view of what intrinsic value is. Now, this sort of thing happens a lot in fields other than finances. Anchoring bias is a real problem when doing serial assessments on patients, which can lead people down the wrong pathway. For example, a person with presumed asthma improves marginally on salbutamol, which is a bronchodilator, but the diagnosis is actually something cardiac because the patient has chest tightness, which can happen in asthma too. 
And then the patient crashes as salbutamol overuse happens and then they get worse a breathing situation and this leads to more Ventolin, and therefore the doctor and nurse getting to this sort of spiral, they haven't really taken into account differentials and have anchored their whole assessment based on what their initial diagnosis was, and that was asthma, which was incorrect. There's a saying in medicine which states, treat the patient, not the number. And at this point, all ICU doctors and nurses just left the episode. That was a bad joke. Number 10. Neglect of probability. This is when you disregard the probability of an event when making decisions and especially joint finances. In this type of bias, risks are usually either fully ignored or blown out of proportion. I won't really bore you on the decision analysis principles, but when making a decision, generally speaking, one needs to take into account the positives and negatives of that decision, then picking a decision which provides the most positives. Now, I mean, why would anyone pick a negative outcome decision? This is called normative decision-making. So when neglect of probability occurs, the normative decision-making principles are violated. This principle is better explained by an example. In 1993, Baron et al. conducted a study with children. The scenario was about seatbelts. Should you wear a seatbelt or not? Child A says we should. And child B says we shouldn't. Child B justifies because she has heard of a situation where a car fell into a lake and the person got trapped by the seatbelt. The other case was when a car was catching on fire, where the driver couldn't unbuckle the seatbelt quickly enough to get out and got injured as a result. Now, in this case, child B has completely ignored the probability of such events from happening. Child A likely has considered the probability because she thinks it's a good idea to wear a seatbelt. That is, although technically restraining oneself if the car is sinking in a bad lake tragedy or a car actually getting on fire is not a good idea. I mean, who would want to strap themselves in when the car is going down or getting burnt? But the likelihood of a car sinking in a lake is lower than the probability of a car actually having an accident on land. Therefore, it doesn't make sense to not wear a seatbelt for the majority of the times. That is, child A took into the probability side of things, whilst child B didn't take that into account. Now, we've seen this in the healthcare industry in the COVID-19 pandemic when it comes to vaccines. Now, at the time of preparing and recording this episode, I'm triple vaxxed, and likely we'll get the fourth COVID vaccine when it comes out for healthcare workers. When vaccines initially came out, there was hesitation. Not from me. I was one of the first batches of people who got vaccinated way back in early 2021. Is the vaccine 100% effective? No, nothing is. Is it safe on the balance of probability? Absolutely, yes. But we saw heaps of people use misinformation campaigns from people who probably had neglect of probability bias. And when it comes to investing, the same thing happens. The people who are constantly worried about the bear market will likely not invest in much at all. As a result, despite the probability of a bear market being low, they continue not to invest. This is what neglect of probability bias looks like in the financial world. That is, they neglect the probability of a bear market is so low because over time, long term, broad indices and markets tend to go up. Now I want to highlight some lesser known cognitive biases when it comes to investing. 
Number 11. Representativeness heuristics. It's a mouthful to say. Essentially, this bias is when investors think if two financial products are very similar, that also means they're similarly correlated. Correlation is an important concept to understand and probably an episode in itself. Number 12. Framing bias. This is when investors make decisions based on information they read, which has been framed to them, which they like. If the information is presented to them in a fashion which is different and they don't like it, they're less likely to invest. How many times have you read a financial product, the fees, the charts, etc., then agreed or disagreed, and then someone else posts something on social media with the same chart but with more information, then you've all of a sudden changed your mind already. Let's use an example to highlight this exact bias. When people talk about index investing, and most people agree that passive broad market index investing on the whole beats the active market, and the evidence is very clear. When this is being discussed on the time in the forums and Facebook and all that sort of stuff, there's always a select few who say, ah, but what about the Japanese market? If you've invested in the Nikkei index or something which tracks it, you may have lost money. The problem here is if you just pick a time frame or information for a specific period of time, then yes, you've lost money. I talk about this in a recent episode where I talk about stock market myths, so make sure you pay attention to framing bias when discussing financial decisions. Lucky last bias 13, the Dunning-Kruger effect. This is when people just overestimate their abilities. Now, everyone knows, and I know, that I'm one of the best drivers around when it comes to cars. I'm also a better investor above average for sure. And I'm also a great doctor. You can see how this can work out. We probably do this all the time. Now, for real though, I'll tell you what I'm a champion at. Suturing of wounds. I'm a gun. I can close a laceration in record time. I can also remove a foreign body from your eye at record pace too. Only from the eye, from nowhere else. At least that's what I think. The problem here is, I don't know how good you are. In fact, I don't even consider how good you are. I just assume I'm the best, which of course I am. Now, that's about it for this episode on biases. 13 biases that we've covered so far. And there's plenty more, and there's plenty more reading on this topic if you're interested. Uh, But I'll be interested to hear from you, the listener. Have you been subjected to any of these biases? And have you you know, fell into the traps of accidentally uh, not recognising them and making a false or a bad financial decision or investment decision. I'll be interested to hear from you. You can private message me if you wish. Now, before we finish up, I have a question from Michael who asks, is there any financial products or services targeting nurses, not just doctors and allied health professionals? Seems as though if you don't have an independent practice, you may not be eligible for some specialist products. Now, that's a great question. First of all, I don't sell any products. So do take this with a grain of salt. And in fact, if anyone comes to any of the listener and says, Dev Raga wants to sell you something or he owns something and I want you to buy it and he himself has recommended it, just delete them because I never do. Now, when you have access to special products, though, it is based on the following from my very limited understanding. 
Number one, how secure your profession is from an income generation perspective. Number two is what is your current net worth? Number three is what is your income? Number four is what is the potential of your income? Is there any significant variability, etc.? And of course, along with all the regular stuff like expenses, liabilities, servicing capability of looking for mortgages, etc., 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 these are just some of the basic things that people look for. Now, I know St. George, for example, expanded their mortgage and special products to more health services and health professionals. So now they include podiatrists, osteopaths, audiologists, sonographers, radiographers, speech pathologists, etc. They've also made some changes to the LVR ratios and renovation borrowing limits. Now, I'm not sure if these changes actually still exist because of the recent interest rate rise from the RBA. Lending may have tightened, but it's worthwhile discussing that with your bank or mortgage provider. I hope this clarifies. Unfortunately, I'm not an expert when it comes to such products because I don't sell anything. I'm not a credentialed accountant or a lawyer or a financial advisor or planner. I do know if your net worth is high and some banks have thresholds of three to five mil, you can get access to products which are not available to other customers. That's about it for this episode. Hope you found this episode interesting because biases do exist in our lives and I'm not immune to it either. The more we know about it, the more we can avoid them in our personal financial journey and investment journey. Remember to leave a five-star review on Apple Podcast or whatever platform you may be using, or leave a five-star review or rating on all of the platforms, that's even better, and please leave a positive review. The more ratings and reviews you leave, the more people get access to my podcast and this channel, so please keep them coming because I really love reading them. My name's Dev Raga, and this is My Millennial Money Medical, and until next time, please make sure you stay safe. We acknowledge the Awabakal people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits and pay respects to their elders past, present and emerging. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement, target market determination, and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, and Glenn James are authorized representatives of Money Sherpa Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.